0: Do you know much about these eyebrows? Were they just shaved off or?
1: Hello, Michelle. Hello, Geordie. How are you? I'm well. I'm well, 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 well,
0: well. No, I'm good. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> you know, keeping my head above water. How about you? Well, I don't think the Australians are keeping their head above water at the moment. Terrible times. Yes,
1: you're right. I received a video this morning from my brother, and it was like a film or like a video that somebody had made of their home up to their bloody waists in water. Then he was rescued by two young men too young men, I say young. My brother's not young; he's well, whatever. He's old, and he (laughs) he was picked up by my brother and his friend in a little boat, and they were driving through the main streets of Lismore. The water was up to the bottom of those traffic lights, so houses you could just see the top of their roofs.
0: It's terrible. It's absolutely shocking what's going on. It just Mm. feels like Australia had the fires, then we all had COVID. Now there's war, plague, yeah, all of it. Too hard, too harsh. Welcome to the
1: (laughs) podcast eavesdropping. I'm Geordie.
0: I'm Michelle. Hi, everyone. We're so happy that you're eavesdropping on us today. So happy. And Mm. we've got a couple of stories up our sleeves for you. And
1: Michelle, I did mention to you that mine is quite lengthy because it's one of those ones that you get right into. And it's a labyrinth quite literally of information that just keeps coming you know with everything going on in the Ukraine with Russia it's
0: actually a Russian story Michelle. Oh my goodness okay well I've got a story for you nothing to do with Russia but I just want to say a couple of things actually yeah first of all for anyone who's so bored of euphoria sorry i <laughs> just going to spend one minute on this disappointing finale that's all i'm gonna say very disappointing get in touch if you want to talk about it secondly trigger point haven't finished watching that last episode was it disappointing because it was shaping up to be disappointing uh i enjoyed it oh all right okay i'll give it a go then oh god you seem really strict it's like a teacher telling yelling at me about television shows that have let you down No, they haven't done their homework. (laughs) I wanted to thank all our eavesdroppers who have been sending us stuff. I have so many links, so many things to share. It's all coming, guys, in the coming weeks. So keep it coming. Do you know what? I've had the usual. I've had Tamira
1: dropping in some interesting factoids. Then I had Mm. almost an essay written to me just now by an eavesdropper. Who I will give a massive shout out to Her name is Anna Graziano All the way over there in France And she has been obviously listening to our last episode Which was about Illuminati and Melissa Caddick I think she was quite taken by the Knights Templar angle And she'd like to go deep down and talk about some stuff to do with that So I'm going to do some research and get back to you on that guys But here's your shout out Anna Shout out
0: Shout out to your shout out, You're getting a start out. Well, we had some information from Wiz, which is coming up in a future episode. Also, some crazy links about time. So, that that's from Al our, our Teggett. Our, Can I our... ask? Yes. This, this conversation came up yesterday
1: when I was at work, and one of the young girls who work there said, Oh, 2020, the year that never happened. I said, What? She said, yeah, it's like the leap year of of years. It didn't happen. (laughs) Is that what you're going to talk about? The fact that there's leap years and all of the leap year time. In order to make time work, we need leap years. She explained it to me. It was really difficult for me to follow. Me and maths, you know, don't work. And she said that 2020 was the year that is the leap year, like the day, the extra day that we got. And apparently it didn't. It's never supposed to have existed. This all came about because I said to her that I was searching for some photos that would have been taken in
0: 2020, and all of that year has disappeared from my photo. What? Yeah, library. Yeah. Oh my gosh, your camera roll's just completely deleted 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it probably wouldn't have been much. I mean, no one left the house, so... True. Oh, that's a very interesting. No, that wasn't the angle from our friend Al Teggett who sent us these links, but I will investigate coming up, guys. That's coming up. Also, wanted to give a quick shout out to Natty J who oh, Natty emailed J. us yes. thanking us for um, investigating empaths and going into the stories that she sent us. She also said her friends call her Natty J, so that's right. I don't feel so bad. She said that we are like those friends like she feels like she's oh. hanging out when she's listening <laughs> doing the ironing or whatever stopping? Yeah, and the last thing I want to say is um, some you know very exciting news. We got some information through the email the other day about the podcast awards. So we're going to give you more information on that in the coming episodes on how you can vote for us, your favorite eavesdropping podcast. So
1: how exciting! You it can is. help us to help you. It's like a mutual back scratching session. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you first of all, Michelle, if anybody enjoyed last week's conspiracy. Theory based episode. I've got more conspiracies coming your way. Oh my God, tell me. I can't wait. I I love a conspiracy, don't you? Yes, I do. This one that I'm going to talk about is known as Russia's Kennedy assassination. (laughs) You may have heard of it before. I have actually heard podcasts on this before, found it fascinating, but then forgotten about it. But then I came across it in a magazine called Unexplained Mysteries or something like that, prompted me to go deeper. It's the story of 10 Russian university students who went on a 200-mile round trip to go skiing and hiking in the depths of winter in the northern Ural – is that how you say it? Ural? Yes. Ural? Is it Ural or Urals? Ural Mountains between the 1st and the 2nd of February in 1959. And all but one died in
0: strange circumstances. Do you know this one? Yes. I remember when I first came across his story. Obviously, anything that's Ski. to do with trekking, skiing, mountains. You own it. All of that stuff. I'm like all over it. So, yeah, excited. Let's go. It's the Diatlov Pass expedition. And it's called that
1: because of what happened. It was called something else beforehand. But now it's called Diatlov Pass after Yuri Yuri Dyatlov? What's his name? Igor Dyatlov, who Ah. there's so many names coming up, guys. Trigger warnings as well. There's trigger warnings because I am going to describe how some things happened. And also trigger warnings for anybody who can't stand my pronunciations of all these Russian names. So bear (laughs) with me. So this expedition was discovered by rescuers on February 26, 1959, after they had gone missing for a length of time, they weren't where they're supposed to have been. So their families got in touch with the university who they had arranged their, this ski tour through. Then they sent volunteers to go and find them. And eventually they did, which was a good 24 like days after they had 24
0: been, days mm, after they'd out. gone
1: missing. That you're going to perish in that well, snow. So the tent had been cut open. They found the tent. The tent had been cut open from the inside and the evidence found that some of the nine students, because by this point there were only nine, one had turned back due to ill health on the way. They had fled in socks and bare feet. So that is mystery number one they were all from the city of Yekaterinburg which is Russia's fourth largest city and the, that's also the place where Tsar Nicholas and his family the second and his family were assassinated that's a little factoid there for well, you. Well we about talked it. about
0: Tsar Nicholas last week didn't we? we? Did. It's called
1: I think the university was at the time called Ural Polytechnic okay. and one of the students is named Igor Dyatlov as I said before, and he appeared to be the leader of the group. So he arranged the the ski tour and he invited nine other friends. Two women were among them and they were all sporty and experienced skiers. And along with Igor, here we go. Here's some names. There was Zinaida Kolmogorova, who was 22. Lyudmila Dubanina, she was 20. Yuri Doroshenko, he was 21. Alexander Kolevatov, 24 years old. Yuri Krivonischenko, he was 23 years old. How am I doing, Michelle? You're
0: doing great. I'm impressed.
1: <laughs> Rustin Slobodim, 23. Uh Nikolai Thibaut Brignol, he's of French descent, 23 years old, and Yuri Yudin, who is the chap with the sciatica who didn't make it all the way and oh it saved his life. He he was 23. He died in 2013, an old man. So, huh. but he never found out what happened to his friends. Okay. Yeah. So, oh
0: shit! Okay, mm-hmm. I already have a feeling of what's coming. But... What's coming? Well, we know that they were found dead. Oh,
1: because I've kind of said that all nine of them were found eventually. Oh god! So the only one that wasn't young was Semyon Zolotaryov, who was 38 and a sports instructor, and he'd previously fought in World War Two. So he had joined all these 20, 22, 23-year-olds on this expedition
0: what sort of as a bit of the older guide I guess possibly potentially mm. we don't know though we're heading to
1: a mountain called this is the hardest thing of all to say Colat Sayakl, I think it said I'm not sure <laughs> which rumors to to mean don't go there in the language of the indigenous tribes who live there the Mansi tribe Ooh, but okay. that, I don't know how accurate that don't go there is don't go there
0: Well, I don't know. It could be...
1: Fear Mountain or Death Mountain was the other alternative. Yeah,
0: or just like do not pass Go Mountain. Yeah, yeah. do not attempt
1: Mm -hmm. to hike this mountain. The trip was supposed to take three weeks and Igor had planned to contact the sports club that he arranged it through once they had completed their trip and be back at their base by February 12th. But when no one had heard from them, nothing was done at first.
0: Did you just say 2012? What?
1: February 12th.
0: February. Oh, February 12th. I thought you said 2012. I'm no. like, what? <laughs> it was
1: 1950. I think I said eight or nine, didn't I? No one had heard from them. Nothing was done because bad weather in the past, they were experienced skiers and hikers and they'd done this kind of thing before. And previously, bad weather had stopped them. And I think they had heard that there was a bit of bad weather at the time. But eventually, the family of the students raised the alarm by the 20th of February and the okay. university assembled a group of volunteers to search for them. So. A group of rescuers did eventually get there, like I said, about a month after the group's disappearance. Mm-hmm. They found the tent. It was just three 300 metres from the top of the mountain. Okay. And like I said, the, the tent had slash marks from was cut from within. Uh-huh. So the tent was visible to the rescuers, but only by the tip of the canvas sticking out. And the rest was under a pile of snow. But okay. there were still ski poles holding the front of it up, so it wasn't like there was – it wasn't an av- avalanche, if that's what you're thinking, and yeah. I bet you are, because that's what you have to deal with at your mountain, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and the thing is February in Russia, you know, before the um, the world's climate change was really hitting, that would have been really fucking cold. Minus 20, I think. That's not so bad. No? But is that all right? <laughs> we get, we get that here bad. all the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So once inside they found the group's rucksacks lined up neatly and a pile of boots in the corner. So it was very neat what they'd found inside the tent. There was a blanket, there was a route map, official papers, money, flask of booze, so hatchet, axes, nothing stolen, nothing messed up, a plate of pork fat which was what they were eating, <laughs> <laughs> was sliced up ready to be um, eaten for <laughs> supper. Looks All like right. they it looked like they ran out in a hurry. As they were about to have their supper And it appeared that they were in a desperate hurry To exit the tent
0: Yeah, without their shoes
1: Without their shoes Because once Mm. the rescuers found outside The rescuers found nine sets of footprints And the prints indicated that they were either only in socks Because you could make out the toe imprints Or wearing one boot or no boots at all No shoes, no boots These tracks carried on for about 10 metres Then they disappeared so then the rescuers found a cedar tree in the distance and beneath it were two bodies. Their hands and feet were reddish brown. Oh. The bodies were those of Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Krivonoshenko, who had, Yuri Krivonoshenko had actually bitten off pieces of his knuckle.
0: Aye. Sorry,
1: trigger. Whoops. What? <laughs> I
0: know. Both were stripped down to their underwear. Oh Well, they could have run out because they were in, out in their underwear because if they left the tent in a hurry, it's a possibility. Maybe. No, no. I don't know. Also near the tree was the
1: remains of a campfire that could be seen and the rescuers could tell that someone had climbed the tree to break the lower branches for kindling. There was mm-hmm. bits of clothing and bits of skin, Michelle, in the <gasps> branches. Yes. Oh, my God. Distressing. The next body they found was that of Igor Dyotlev, who was fully dressed, apart from no shoes, and found lying face down in the snow, hugging a birch branch. Next to him, or near him, was Shinaida Kolmogorova. I believe those two were together as well, that they're a couple. Both her uh, and Igor's fists were tightly clenched when they were found. And from her position, it looked as though she had been trying to scramble back upwards, back towards the tent. So they'd clearly run out of the tent, and then she was trying to get back to the tent. Okay. She also had a really long, bright red bruise on the right side of her torso, which rescuers thought it looked like she'd been
0: beaten with a baton or something. I've got some ideas here. But I'd love yeah. to
1: hear them, but you'll have to hold on to them for a little while. Put a pin in those. So it was a week or so before the rest of the bodies could be discovered. So what have we got there? We've got four bodies. We've got Janeda. We've got Igor Diotlev. We've got the, the two, two Yeah. Rustin Slobodin was the next to be found. He had a fractured skull. And this is on the 5th of March. So another week or so after the last, after the initial rescue mission. He had on more clothes than the others and he was wearing an undershirt, a jumper, two pairs of trousers, four pairs of socks and one felt boot on his right foot. And his watch had stopped at 8.45 a.m. So it was nearly three months later that the rest of the students' bodies were found in a ravine after the snow had melted. And it appeared as though they had built some kind of cubby hole or hide or some kind of little place to shelter
0: as it was lined with branches. All right, that's interesting. So they were sheltering. Yeah. Sheltering, yeah. So they possibly didn't
1: die immediately at the same time, yeah. yeah. We have Nikolai, the French one, mm-hmm. who was well dressed. He was wearing two watches on the left arm. One stopped at 8:14 and another at 8:39. Now he had significant skull fractures.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah. Alexander Kolevatov and his had a wound behind his ear and his neck was twisted in a strange way and his eyebrows were missing. What? I know. Oh, yes, trigger how? warnings now guys, trigger how? warnings. Trigger warning properly now. Here we go. Do you know much about these eyebrows? Were they just shaved off or No, the skin oh. and everything was taken. Oh, so Ludmila Dubenina, the youngest of the group, she had broken ribs as though she had been hit by a car. So it was a proper, substantial, but no marks on the outside of the body. And Semyon Semyon Zolotaryov, the oldest one, he also had similar broken ribs in the same fashion as Ludmilla. And he also had a a wound on his head, which exposed the bone of his skull. Now both, so trigger warning, both Ludmilla and Semyon were missing their eyes and Ludmilla's tongue was missing and part of her lip. Oh my God. At first they thought because she was found face down that it was the snow or some animals that were responsible, but the autopsy shows coagulated blood in her stomach, which shows that it may have been removed while she was still alive. Okay. But not sure about those details. She was also wearing the burnt trousers of one of the Uries. Oh, Mm. what? So it's assumed that perhaps they grabbed the clothes off their group mates Possibly, Maybe. and that's why the other two were found in their underwear Because others, They were all wearing different parts of different people's clothing But why were they burnt clothes? Because it was right next to the fire the, mm. We'll come back to that because I've got some theories at the end So it was Yuri krivonischenko whose trousers she was wearing And her left foot and shin were wrapped in torn pieces of someone else's jacket So like I said, some of these group, we've assumed that these four had died After the initial event that the first four had died from no, I think maybe five of them had died initially because there's one that was found nearby after the first four and then this last four were found in the ravine. So okay. they may have been surviving for a little while after the, the initial thing. Yeah. Officially, the cause of death was hypothermia and frostbite and there have been cover-ups since the event, not to mention conspiracies galore, Michelle. There's about 75 conspiracy theories about around this yeah
0: far out
1: okay I'm not going to tell you all 75 (laughs) but there was a camera found around Semyon Zoltaryov who was the oldest one around his neck but the survivor Yuri Yudin says that that wasn't one that was packed for the trip
0: it was it was unidentified yeah so not belonging to any of the group
1: no, all of the bodies had deeply tanned or discolored skin. Now, this could be because they were left out in the snow mm. for a while. They could have been frostburned, yeah. you know. Yuri Doroshenko had grayish foam around his mouth, which was yeah. as it looked as if he had suffered some kind of pulmonary edema, according to autopsies. Yeah. Now, Michelle, I'm going to give you a little bit of history about the area to try and put you in, because I know what I've given you. It's a lot. It's a lot of names. It's a lot of injuries. It's a lot of trying to piece together what has happened. Here's yep. some history about the area itself. Okay. The Mansi tribe. I, I mentioned them earlier, right? They yep. have lived. They're from. They're kind of Siberian. They've been like brought into the Russian area, and what kind of like because Russia has expanded as it's trying to do now. They have lived in the region for hundreds of years. They're reindeer herders, and initially they were the prime suspects because it was theorised that this Mansi tribe, some of the members may have been high on their magic mushrooms, which they used to hang from trees and use in their rituals, and they'd gone berserk after finding the students on sacred land. And investigators had looked into a previous case of a female geologist that had wandered onto sacred lands in the past, and... The Mansi had tied her up and drowned her in a lake. So oh. that had been done before. So they were thinking it might have been them. But this mountain, Colat sayakel, or however you pronounce that, <laughs> it's not sacred to the Mansi. In fact, it's generally
0: avoided and feared by them. Don't go there. They're not up there on the don't go there mountain. They don't like it. No. And also all of the tent, the tent was
1: left as it was so neatly T- times are tough up there in those mountains. People would want every single last bit of survival stuff. They, could. if somebody had done this, they would have taken their stuff.
0: Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, There's you would. Actors. Take- there
1: was food, boots, and clothing boots. because yeah. Yeah. blankets. Yeah. Another rumor was that the students were victims of a military experiment and killed elsewhere and returned to the mountain later by helicopter. That's a bit of a cuckoo one because also there was only nine
0: footprints. Yeah, and also that's a lot of effort. A lot of effort. You can just throw them down a crevasse and they won't be found. They'll be like "Oopsie, the Which is the, just what your your
1: fiance fancies doing to you at some point if you ever get Absolutely. dementia. That's yes. what he said he'd do, isn't it? Yes, he's going, yeah. going to kill me.
0: <laughs> just putting that out there.
1: <laughs> Push you down a ravine. Into a crevasse. Yeah. yeah. So there was this is an interesting one, Michelle, and worth a thought or two. There's a network of prison camps in the area at the time known as Ivdelag or Ivlag, gulags. Okay. The 30,000 in- inmates had built roads and worked in factories there. It had a reputation as the harshest and most violent in the gulag
0: system, but due to its remote location, no one would attempt the escape. Oh, because you're going to die. You escape, but there's nowhere to go because mm. the conditions are so harsh. So escape at your peril. Exactly. So at the time of uh, the
1: hike, there were still concentration camps around there. And although there had been some political prisoners released, there were still quite a few detained. And Ivlag was only a few miles from the campsite. So what if there was an escaped prisoner who missed hearing about the death of Stalin in 1953, who then gave amnesty to all the political prisoners? There was amnesty from, I think it was Khrushchev. What was his name? Khrush- Khrushchev was the next guy in. He announced the amnesty on all political prisoners, so they were allowed to leave these gulags. Okay. But what about if one had already escaped and missed hearing about Stalin's death and was living in those Urals, surviving and killed them?
0: I think that sounds quite far-fetched. Because... It sounds like
1: the movie that I saw, that one about eating
0: each other with Robert Carlyle. Because oh. <laughs> he was escaped from somewhere. Yeah, but but also... You know, for one man to be so aggressive to nine people, it doesn't make sense. And also, just, you know, it's like live and let live. These nine students would be like, yeah, mate, we don't care. See you later. I don't know. I think that sounds a little far-fetched. I'm not into that one.
1: Well, Yuri Yudin, the survivor, did notice that there was an item of clothing that didn't belong to any of the group found on one of the bodies. It was an obmotki, which is a wide piece of cloth meant to be wrapped around the legs. And they have distinct shape and made from a certain material. And they happen to have been common amongst
0: soldiers and prisoners in concentration camps. But could they have found that on their travels? Could have, yeah. And picked it up thinking... Oh, we, you know, you never know, we might need a bit of extra warmth, blanket, whatever. Yeah.
1: And also, since then, the evidence that the clothing has gone missing from evidence.
0: Oh, really? Yes. Oh, shit.
1: A lot of things have gone missing from evidence, actually, Michelle.
0: Because that's what I was going to say, you know, DNA testing has advanced so far since this case. I wonder if there would have been any evidence to uncover it by doing you know reinvestigating this case and looking at that evidence but if it's well, been gone it's been stolen who knows? I'll let you know towards the end that there has been some re-looking into this
1: case but I'll let you know Ooh. all about that in just Ooh. one moment because I need to tell you first of all of another thing that happened at the time which was <gasps> that there was reports of the rescuers seeing an unnerving ball of fire or a glowing sphere in the sky, which they felt sure had something to do with the deaths. It was like hovering. So they felt certain that this light in the sky had something to do with the deaths because they weren't the only ones that saw it. Several geologists who were working 70 kilometres away from the mountain reported that they even saw the orbs on the evening of February 1st, which was the night that they assumed the tragedy occurred. So was it, a, was it an alien? Was it a spacecraft? Was it an abducting situation? Or was it secret launches by the Soviet space program?
0: <gasps> oh, my God. Yes, maybe. But how does that explain all their injuries? Because, you know, we always talk a lot about aliens on this podcast. We always sort of think they're maybe a little bit benign. Probably we come in peace. But what about like angry, aggressive aliens? They can yeah. exist. Well, there's more. There's, uh, well, I just said to you what if it was
1: possibly the Soviet space program, but also there was a lot of rocket and weapons testing around that area at that time. And investigators discovered that the tops of the trees in the forested area down the slope from the camp had been burned and they couldn't explain.
0: I wonder if... If there had been any kind of aerial photography, if they could have seen if it was in a particular shape, you know, if it had been like a perfect circle, that would indicate aliens to me. (laughs) But Who knows? (laughs) One of the students' clothes had high levels of radiation, only
1: one, and around the time the bodies were discovered, reports of dead animals and birds were found and the local Mansi tribe reindeer herders were banned from the area and there was a hunting ban on the area for the next four years. In addition, locals were told not
0: to use water from the wells. Here we go, we've got some radiation.
1: One strong theory at the time was because of the Cold War and the arms race, one or more members of the Dietlov group had been hired by the KGB to deliver, now this gets confusing, so bear with me, to deliver fake proof in the form of clothing tainted by radioactivity back to a Western spy, so the CIA. We're going to meet them on the mountain. So the KGB had hired... the university students are often targeted by spies anyway given this item of clothing to take and to hand over to the cia to say there's proof that we have arms we have yeah so it was like a planted thing by the kgb i believe because at the time the only
0: way to pinpoint a nuclear site was by delivering an object tainted with radioactivity that's interesting i'm not sure i'm going to Keep mulling that over. I'm not sure about this one. There's a
1: lot to mull over, Michelle. Yeah. What about this one? They were affected by poisonous rocket fuel. Some think it was a low-flying jet that caused shock waves or a mini tornado, which frightened the students enough to send them scattering it out into sub- sub-zero temperatures, half-clad.
0: So I would agree that obviously there was some kind of shocking, inciting incident. It, However, yeah, this does not... Yeah, explain any of the injuries or the horrific skin being removed from eyebrows. So <laughs> it's the eyebrows you're worried about. Oh, it just, that just really creeped me out. I
1: know, I'm sorry for creeping oh. everybody out. What about the Russian Yeti, Michelle? There is evidence on one of the rolls of film taken by the students.
0: No. Oh my God, okay. Of a
1: towering humanoid creature, and I saw the picture. No,
0: hiding behind some trees. I need to see that picture. You've got to send you it to me. To, I'll put okay. it in the
1: show notes. Put it in the show notes. The Mansi tribespeople who were assisting with the search were shocked when they saw the bodies. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah. But they believed that a yeti known in their folklore as Menthki, had murdered the hikers. And there had been attacks on caribou and reindeer herds in the area in the weeks before the attack. And the bodies of the animals were left in place, but the internal organs were damaged much like the last four
0: okay so that explains yeah oh does it it
1: explains it so it's the yeti
0: (laughs) no but no but oh yes it's the yeti no but that explains at least why the there were internal injuries like being slammed by a car
1: um
0: being slammed by yeti that explains it i mean i don't know about you but i've been driving in the northern territory and when kangaroos hit a car yeah it's it's devastating you know you mm. get it's it's crushing so I, I a giant animal that I mean it it would make sense I'm not saying <laughs> that explains sorry <laughs> nothing here is explained. oh that's it so there was a line in the group
1: diary as well because they had diary that all of them were diarizing the whole thing um yeah. it said now we know that the snowman exists but oh. this was also part of a mocked-up newspaper the group may have been making for fun, and that was dated on the 1st of February. They are students. They are students. They're having fun. The different causes of death led pathologists to believe that their injuries were not caused by a single event. I think we've established that. Extensive autopsies were performed and sent off for testing, but unfortunately that's where the trail ended, Michelle, because once they arrived at the labs, the samples and paperwork did a walk.
0: No. Never to be seen again. Because I was going to ask were there any traces of psychedelics in their blood, but we don't know. We won't know that, no. Some have questioned why
1: Semyon Zoltolorov hang on, I'll say that again, Semyon Zolotoryov was included in the group. At 38 years old, he was a sports instructor, but since the deaths... So many questions have been asked about his identity. He was a last-minute addition, which was uh, suggested by the sports club, and he was known to have a military background and said to have introduced himself as Alexander and wanted to be known as Sasha. Weird. He also had an odd military history. and He'd survived working in a military engineering unit at a time when joining such units was an act of suicide.
0: So he's a dark horse. He's a bit of a wild card Mm, in this group. And older. Older. Not friends with them. Just to tag along. Let's just quickly go over the facts that we've got so far, Michelle.
1: (laughs) i got these from Vocal Media website. They are the known facts, which are firstly that the hikers cut their way out of the tent from the inside and they all fled the site independently. No one forced them at gunpoint, they don't believe, because of the single footprints or the the nine footprints. Yeah. We also know that Krivineshenko, Doroshenko, Igor Dietlev, and Zinaida Komogarova, and Slobodin – all died on or around the night of February too. So the first five deaths that I told you about, the two boys under the tree by the fire, Igor and his girlfriend, Zinaida who were a bit further away with their fists clenched, and finally Slobodin, who was found with head wounds a bit further away and his watch had stopped at 8.45. Yep. They're the first five. They believe that that had all happened on or around the night of February the 2nd. Then, Donina, Zoltaryov... And the French guy and Kolevatov, they all survived the initial event and most likely cut the clothing off their fallen companions in an attempt to survive their circumstances. Yeah. There's no logical explanation for the injuries of the latter four victims. And it was concluded that their internal injuries could not have been caused by a human. One camera was missing from the tent, as well as Kolevatov's personal diary. Oh, fuck. these have never been found but Zoltaryov was discovered with a camera that Yuri Udin couldn't identify and uh-huh. sadly no one found out what was on that film because the melting snow had damaged the film so they never saw it apparently no money or valuables were taken from the campsite and there is no evidence of human presence in the area on the night that the hikers fled their tent no signs of an avalanche The mountain at that point wasn't very steep and the snow was quite thin at that time. Okay. Just quickly now, there's a a New Yorker article which focused on the 2019 Russian authorities reopened the case in 2019.
0: No, really? And they did
1: come up with a conclusion. So I do have a conclusion for you, but it's not very satisfying and still up in the air. These investigators did extensive reconstruction and... They took all these 75 conspiracy theories into their mind when they were doing these reconstructions. They finally decided, Michelle, that it was a slab of snow sliding over the tent, which was what caused them to all leave the tent in such a hurry because they were fearing a huge avalanche and running in pitch blackness. They just ran in different directions. And then when they realised there was no avalanche, they tried to make their way back to the tent and instead they had to take shelter in the woods a mile away. Now, this theory was tested by blindfolding a man and a woman, leading them 90 feet downhill from a tent and then ask them to find their way back. They quickly went the wrong direction. The task would have been even more difficult in a blizzard with most of the tent buried under snow. So that's what they believe happened initially. I'm not buying that. But yeah, keep going. They believe that the nine of them retreated downhill, taking shelter under the first cedar tree where the fire was, built a fire. Because of the young trees nearby, they they were icy and wet. Someone climbed the cedar to break branches higher up, hence the skin and scraps of clothing found on the trunk. The fire they built in this extreme condition was not enough to save them. And two of the most poorly dressed of the group died first of hypothermia. And the burned skin on their bodies came from their desperate efforts to seek warmth around the fire. It would also explain why Krivonashenko bit his knuckle because maybe he was overcome with delirium, which is what happens when you are dying from hypothermia apparently, or perhaps it was an attempt to find sensation in his frostbitten hand. I don't know. I'm not
0: sure about all of
1: this. but yeah. So then the surviving skiers cut the clothes off their dead friends and dressed themselves in the remnants so that's why the trousers were burnt on Ludmilla's yeah. clothing etc then the group split up at some point three skiers including Dyatlov tried to return to the tent so Dyatlov and what's the name his girlfriend and the other chap and they soon froze to death Slobodin was the other chap they soon froze to death as they struggled uphill The other four, who were better dressed, decided to build a snow den to shelter in overnight. They needed deep snow, which they found in a ravine a couple of hundred feet away. Unfortunately, the spot they picked lay above a stream, which was a tributary over the river. The stream never froze. It would never freeze because it was a tributary or something. I don't know all the details about this. Mm. So it is confusing. They hollowed out a deep icy tunnel, but the digging caused the roof to collapse Throwing them onto the rocky stream bed, which they were building on top of, and burying them in ten to fifteen feet of snow. And the pressure of the tons of snow forcing them against the rocks is what caused their traumatic injuries. That has legs, I think. The gruesome facial damage that you absolutely hated, and I hate to they probably resulted in scavenging by small animals and decomposition. If
0: you're a, a little wild animal trying to a little have a snack. Let's call him snack a snow stoat or something. Yeah, or a marmot or whatever it is, ha- mm. looking for a little snag. Just the eyebrows, <laughs> you know? Like you're going to go for the nose, you know? You're going to go for a nice chump, chunky cheek. But the eyebrows, it, that doesn't The make eyeballs sense. as well, oh, eyeballs. My- well, that could be juicy, but... Although that would have been frozen, right? I don't know. It just, that doesn't add up to me. I honestly think this sounds like aliens. Oh, okay. That's your upshot. You think it's the aliens or Godzilla? Well, initially I thought they all just got high on drugs and they fucking lost their minds. And That's one of the theories.
1: Apparently the Mansi tribe would hang their mushrooms all in the trees around. They may have found them and eaten
0: them and gone nuts. That could definitely be a possibility that they all just got fucked up on psychedelics somehow.
1: I will tell you that they were very experienced skiers and one of the um, results of the investigation said that if they weren't so experienced, they may have hunkered down in the tent and realised it was just a lump of ice, no avalanche
0: and they were going to be okay and this might not have happened. So you think they're because they were such good skiers, that was to their detriment? Yeah. I'm just not sure about any of this because... It sounds to me too graphic, too gruesome, too many unexplained injuries and the little explanation from The New Yorker, it's all too neat. It wraps it up all too neatly and I think there's still a lot to uncover in this case. So I'm not buying any of it and I do think it could be aliens. Just my opinion. Can both? <laughs> don't sue me. So, on February 20, in 1978, in uh, Sagatok, Michigan, don't know if that's really how you say it. Go for uh, it. Yeah. 23 year old student Stephen Kebaki, he decided to go ski touring on his own, right? Out in the forest for a few hours around Lake Michigan, which he'd done loads of times before. So he was really familiar with the area thing is Stephen didn't come home that night. Now I've read a few different versions of what happened the next day but one version says that some dudes who are out by the lake um, snowmobiling spotted some skis and a backpack that looked as if they'd just been abandoned and they raised the alarm when they realized shit somebody could be lost out here So they contacted the police and when the police went to the frozen lake to investigate, um, yes, they found the skis and poles at the edge of the lake and they discovered a set of footprints in the snow that stopped abruptly at the (gasps) edge of the lake, right? Uh -uh. So the police pretty quickly established that the skis belonged to Stephen and they immediately set up a search party to try and find him because like we just talked about in your story, with those kinds of temperatures, it does not take long for people mm. to perish in sub-zero conditions. Especially like him, he didn't have the correct gear because he just was out for a little ski tour. So they searched around the lake and all the surrounds as well and they found absolutely no trace of him. Now, remember how I said there are different versions of of how they discovered it was Stephen who'd gone missing. There was another version that said after the police combed the area, Stephen's backpack showed up right in the middle of an area that had already been extensively searched, Oh, which... Freaked out. Yeah, freaked out the search parties. But some people say the backpack was found with the skis. So I obviously don't know at what point the backpack was found. But regardless, what is undisputed here is that there were nearly 200 metres of footprints leading up to the lake. And, you know, this is 100% documented about these footprints. But there were no footprints leading away from the lake. So, look, apparently when the rescue crew flew over the area looking for any clues as to what might have happened to Stephen or where he might be, they also confirmed that the footprints seemed to just stop at the frozen water's edge. And, you know... The search and rescue crew also looked really carefully over a massive part of the lake for any signs of broken ice, but there was nothing. I mean, the lake was completely intact. So they kept searching for any other clues that might indicate what happened to him, but they didn't find anything. And eventually they just called off the search and it seemed as if Stephen had just vanished into thin air, and I mean, at this point, I imagine that the family and the search crews just presumed that Stephen had maybe fallen into the the lake um, and drowned. But, like I said, the ice wasn't cracked. There was no sign of any holes in the ice. But maybe he had been buried under a freak snowdrift or, like you had talked about, a mini avalanche. Mm. Or maybe he just got lost and had died somewhere out in the wilderness of hypothermia or God knows what. There were even rumours that he'd been, you know, potentially a victim of foul play or maybe a victim of an animal attack. UFO, Michelle? Was there well, a I you <laughs> know where this is going. But But for me, I think the footprints, the footprints leading to the edge of the lake and then no footprints elsewhere. Because how do you just have one set of footprints in one direction? You know, there's there's no further evidence of him leaving the water's edge. Or walking onto the water's edge, which was frozen.
1: No, there was no evidence. Then, and then falling through some cracked ice and then
0: disappearing underwater. That's exactly it. There was no evidence that he had been on the frozen lake. There were no holes in the lake. There were mm. just... And, and you know, he'd just he'd left his poles, his skis, everything. They were just all abandoned. So there was also some speculation that he'd just run off to start a new life
1: i don't like that theory that's always a bit easy
0: that one yeah and there was no evidence to suggest that but look whatever they thought happened to him it was just all speculation because his body was never recovered and and his case was logged just as missing presumed dead Fast forward. Let's fast forward. <laughs> fast forward to May 5 in 1979. So, this is 15 months later after mm-hmm. he had vanished. In Pittsfield, Massachusetts, 700 miles from where Stephen had gone missing. Crikey. His aunt gets a knock at the door. And when she opens the door, there's Stephen. No. Yes, just looking really confused, really bewildered but otherwise in perfect health. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he had absolutely zero recollection of the last 15 months of his life. He had no idea what had happened to him at all. And it was reported at the time when he showed up just out of the blue, he was under the impression that no time had passed at all. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. So I found an article online. Um, From 1979, about this, where he had given one of his only interviews. And he said he just woke up one day lying in a meadow with absolutely no clue as to how he got there. And he says, and this is his words, I didn't know where I was. And I was wearing clothes that weren't mine. Oh my God. There was also a backpack next to him that wasn't his. And he says, I started going through a backpack which wasn't mine but I assumed it had to be mine and he says I found maps and he says from this he deduced that he had been hitchhiking so Stephen said he did not know what the date was until he'd walked out of the meadow into the local town the nearest town Bought a news, well, looked at a newspaper and saw the date. So he just couldn't believe it was 15 months on. Then I read in another report that in the backpack there were receipts and other things that indicated that he had been in Sacramento, San Francisco, Reno, Chicago, Utah. And also in the bag there was 40 bucks in cash, a pair of new glasses, and sneakers. So Thinking about that, if you just look at what was in that bag, the dude had done loads of travelling or mm. that bag had done a lot of travelling. But, again, he had no memory of any of it. You know, he says he remembers everything right up to that ski trip, then nothing until he woke up in that meadow 15 months later. To
1: the point where on the ski trip, does he re- remember anything about the ski
0: trip? No. Oh. Oh. No, he remembers going on it and walking and then blank, nothing. Wow. Could it have been a memory blip? Well, there are a few theories and I'll get onto this because- I can't he, wait to hear them. Yeah, because he says in one article I read, when he woke up, he had no memory of anything, but he had a feeling of being really cold and scared and being lost in frozen darkness so make of that what you will now I just want to sort of preface all of this by saying Stephen was a really experienced outdoorsman and he'd climbed mountains in Europe and you know he was a really experienced skier so and he knew that area you know there were some theories about what had happened to him and he came up with his own theory and he reckons you know he must have blacked out and somehow erased any memory of the previous 15 months of his life. And this is another quote from him, which is, he says, the only thing I can think of is what happens to mountain climbers when they suffer from loss of body heat and exhaustion, because this particular combination on the body can result in a temporary loss of memory. I don't really buy that because temporary loss of memory if you, you know, if you black out from, you know, like a loss of heat in the body, yeah, a couple of hours, I can I can get on board with that, but 15 months, that just doesn't make any sense to me. So I I don't give that theory any credibility. But he said that he had these really vague feelings when he was in that, when he woke up in that meadow. Mm. First of all, he said he felt like he'd done a lot of running. And also, apparently, in that backpack, they found a T-shirt from a marathon in Wisconsin. And he (laughs) says, I have no idea where that T-shirt came from. So, of course, like I said, there were all of these theories running wild all over the internet about what happened to him. So, some people say they think he suffered from a mental breakdown and just went AWOL. Mm. But Stephen, at the time, said... He was a history major at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. He doesn't remember being under any kind of emotional stress. And he just went out that day for a ski tour on the lake because, you know, it was fun. And he also said his father was going to sign over the house to him. So he had things to look forward to. He said no he, stress. No stress. He had 3 courses at school and was breezing through it. He'd just left a romance in Germany and he'd had no trouble with girls. He had a job lined up with the Holland Sentinel, which is a newspaper. So, you know, his life was not on the skids and he was not depressed and everything seemed to be going well. But interestingly, After Stephen gave those first rounds of interviews, he then refused to talk about this ever again. Oh. Except to say that he had never had any intention of running away and that he'd been mentally stable and happy when he'd vanished. And he also refused to see a psychologist or any kind of counsellor after the incident because he said, I felt absolutely fine and I wasn't traumatised at all by the experience because I have no memory of it. So okay. I'm absolutely fine. So I thought that was really interesting. And he just refused to see a therapist. But interestingly, after this, he went on to do a master's in linguistics and a PhD in clinical psychology. So he refused to see a psychologist or anyone, but he then went on to be a clinical psychologist. So then he also went on to write a book called meta mathematical foundations of existence Gödel quantum and god and beyond. Wow. And he apparently lives in the Pacific Northwest and still works as a psychologist. Now, what is also really interesting about this case cuz obviously you know that I think he was abducted by aliens yes, here. Yes, I know that. Of I know that you think that. Yes. I do because there were no footprints leading away from the lake, his stuff was found intact. He's gone for 15 months. He comes back in full good health, no memory. No, nothing in clothes he can't identify with some random backpack aliens that's my theory here (laughs) it's aliens you know they took him right okay I personally think he's had some
1: kind of memory episode and I think there's more to this than meets the eye especially because he suddenly went quiet And he wouldn't see anyone, yet he went on to become – I mean, he's obviously a really clever guy. Really clever. When I have no answers as to what happened to him for 15 months, I reckon he ran
0: that marathon. You can also think to yourself, would I really want to talk about this more than my first round of interviews? It's like, it's done. I don't want the attention. You know, this is before all the days of people wanting social media fame, being an influencer, whatever, catching in on this stuff. He just wanted to get on with his life, so I kind of get it. But one of the other interesting things about this case is that this happened in what is known as the Michigan Triangle, What's which that? is an area that goes from Manitowoc, Wisconsin, to Ludington in Michigan and south to Benton Harbour. And for centuries, there have been loads of crazy shit happening in this, this particular Michigan Triangle. And wow. there have been unexplained air disasters shipwrecks, vanishings, people just going missing. And the area is also known for its UFO activity. And apparently it's a hot spot for paranormal (laughs) investigators. And people say they compare it to the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, right. I've never heard of that before. There is so much on the Michigan Triangle. Like I said, there have been reports of just weird shit in this area for centuries and I'm, I'm not even joking. Like when I investigated, there was a plane that went missing. Um, it was Northwest Airlines Flight 2501. Lots of paranormal activity. But I'm going to put a pin in this for another day. Oh and my we gosh, can Michelle. talk about the Michigan Triangle because there is a lot in it. The case of Stephen Kabaki, I don't know. I think it's aliens, but who knows? I think mind open for that one.
1: TBC, Michelle. TBC. <laughs> amazing wow what a jam-packed session we've had today chit-chatting back and
0: forth about snowy disasters snowy misadventure they'd both gone ski touring aliens were involved so okay (laughs) if you think so (laughs) i don't know so thank you so much I feel like I want to investigate this Russian incident because I think there is so much more going on.
1: I agree. I agree. It's quite shocking. Mm -hmm. And all those names and all those facts become quite full on in the beginning. But I've only been looking at this story for about three or four days and I am so in there. There are so many pictures of them on their trip. There's so many diaries and journals you can read about. It's fascinating. I would
0: urge you to look into it. And do you know what? I'll put a load of links in the show notes. So go to the show notes, people.
1: Shark notes.
0: Yeah. But wow. listen,
1: Michelle, you know, it just leaves us with one more thing to say and do. And that is to remind everybody, please, <laughs> never, ever, ever stop eavesdropping. 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 Eaves droppin', eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping dropping all day long each this is the song